1: Welcome
2: to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today is in the NFL Hall of Fame. He played 13 years for Buffalo and Cleveland and was named an All-Pro eight times, as well as being named to the All-Decade team for the 70s. He's the first player in NFL history to block for a 2,000-yard rusher and a 4,000-yard passer. And he played on units with two of the coolest nicknames in the NFL, the Electric Company in Buffalo and the Cardiac Kids in Cleveland. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Joe DeLamelure. Joe, welcome.
1: Good to be with you, Rich.
2: Excellent. Well, Joe, um, let, let's just jump right into it. You're, you're born in Detroit. You're one of 10 kids um, and you, you grew up in Centerline and went to Centerline St. Clement High School. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Detroit and, uh, and you know kind of coming from such a big family.
1: Well, I'm the ninth of ten, so I had uh, four older brothers and five sisters and uh, one younger sister, so I'm the ninth, and uh, we went to Centerline St. Clement. Like you said, Centerline is a, a, a one-by-one-mile square mile. Uh, right in the middle, of like Detroit. So you know, it's a city like within the city. And if you were driving through Detroit, you didn't know, you wouldn't even know where we grew up. But um, that's where we grew up. It was probably like 17,000 people back then which for one square mile. That's a lot of people. Now there's only about 7,000 in that area, just because people moving and, you know, um, just a tougher area, you know, just typical. If, you, if I, I always said, if I was dropped off Cleveland, Buffalo, in Detroit, and he put me in the middle of the city, I, I would think I'm in the same city, because it's the same surroundings in all three cities, but anyhow, I had a good life, My we went to um, Catholic high school, Catholic grade in high school, St. Clement, and uh, as a real, result of that, I'm very Catholic, I go to Mass every day, so my wife and I have six kids, and she we were in first grade together, went all the way through school, then sophomore year, in co- or junior year in college, we decided we want to get married. And we decided we wanted to. We didn't have to get married, but we thought we were going to, you know, not have children for five years. We got married like five months later. She's pregnant. So that's when we started our family when we were in college, which is it's good. So everything's good. Yeah,
2: that's great. And and your dad owned a bar and restaurant and kind of instilled a pretty, pretty uh, tough work ethic in you, huh?
1: Yeah, it's still there. My nieces and nephews own it. And it was open from uh, 7 in the morning, 2.30 at night, seven days a week, closed Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Easter. So my dad got by because he had child labor. He'd be arrested. Now, we're, I was tending bar when I was 16. For real. But dad, cops are going to come in here and bust me. He just said, come on, give me a break. said, you could beat up any cop around here. So, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it was. We just my dad was, he went to third grade, my mother went to eighth grade and, you know, then when I was getting recruited in college, they couldn't believe it. They go, whoa, what, what is this? I said, yeah, I go for free. He said, you go for free? He said, let me tell you something, they're gonna take a chunk out of your ass. <laughs> he said, nothing's free kid. So that that's how I grew up. And it was just the best family in the whole world. Like kids walk, there are a lot of bullies like in the neighborhood. I never had a bad day in my life because my brothers were all tough guys. So some of the some of the kids who walked there, when you're six, seven, eight years old, look, don't, don't touch that kid. It's Tom's brothers, you know, Tom and Dave are his brothers, leave him alone. So i would never had a rough day in my life. I just walked through grade school and high school. And then I went to Michigan state and um, everything. I've never had a surgery. That's the biggest thing. So if you never had a surgery and you played all those sports, um, you're a lucky guy. And I'm a lucky guy. Guy, I'm a blessed guy. God's blessed me.
2: Sure. And, and, uh, and I read about your mom. You said that she taught you faith and teamwork. And as an example, you said you want to know about teamwork. Ten kids, one bathroom, no lock.
1: There you go. And no shower. <laughs> <laughs> how we started sports was my mother said, hey, all we have is a tub here and uh, no showers. There's a shower over at St. Carolina. Start playing. So we, that's how everybody started playing sports. Which is <laughs> my mother said, get out of here. We can't, we can't bathe. 10 people can't bathe in a house like this. And we had no washer, no dryer either for a long time. We'd uh, wheel ourselves up to the laundromat. But it was great. Blame me, people would say, oh, life was tough. I had the best life in the whole world. Money is not that big of a deal to me, never has been. Family is the most important thing, always has been. If you have no family, you're screwed. Yeah. You, you yeah. tried to do by on yourself by yourself, you know, it, it just doesn't work.
2: Yeah, well, and and so so you're at St. Clement High School, and you play football, basketball, and baseball, and you're a you're a and fullback. Track. Oh, and track. Okay. And, yeah. And and you played yep. fullback in high school, right?
1: I played tackle till my junior year, and then we started a track team, like our junior year, and they said, hey, you know, well, I threw the shot. That was you know pretty easy thing to. Then they said, what do you do? I said, I don't know. And the coach said, get in there and run a hundred. I go, are you, 100? I weighed 208 pounds too in high school. So I was a big kid for my high school. and I ran like a 10, eight, which was pretty good. Yeah. You know, at that time, and it was in a cinder block track and a uh, converse high tops and all this stuff. So anyhow, I, I'd run the hundred throw the shot, run the hundred and, uh, do that. So one day I was running the hundred. We were playing against, uh, East Catholic and it was a three-way thing, nativity. Anyhow, I'm in the race for the 100, um, their dash and, you know, I, I know I'm going to get smoked, but anyhow, I come in like seventh place out of eight or whatever it was and I'm kind of disappointed. They said, man, you just ran a 10, eight. Are you kidding me? Out of a football stance. So then one of the scouts from Michigan, one of the coaches was there at the track me, and, uh, they, he was all excited and they, you know, so they, they should move you to fullback, and they did. And that was first time I played fullback was my senior year, and uh, it, it worked out. I, I knew I could run. I knew I could do all this stuff. I, because we had all these kids playing all the time. When when you know when you're not in uniform as in high school, like a sophomore, or junior, I'm I'm running the ball all the time or throwing the ball, catching the ball. So anyhow, I, I play fullback and I get recruited by everybody in the country. As a fullback and linebacker. And I, w- I actually went to the University of Miami and I saw Joe Namath play in that Super Bowl. And Chuck Foreman and I, they brought us down as recruits and Ted Hendricks was our host. And I, I want to go there, but my dad said it was too far. So he said, You go somewhere close. And I go, Okay, I'm going to Michigan because I, I was Coach Schembeckler's first recruit. Like I was for, one of the first players he recruited. And I love Coach Schembeckler like real hard nosed guy like like our family was sure but my dad said he couldn't pronounce Schembeckler I said Dad I want to go to Michigan. Uh, I can't pronounce that guy's name. How do you say it? I said, come on, Schembeckler, Dad Delamler, that that's no reason. No, I don't want you to go there. I said, okay I'm going to Notre Dame because we're Catholic and everything. He said that guy's a phony. I go, who? Parsisian. He's coaching a Catholic school and he's Protestant. I go, oh and he goes, you go to Michigan State because Duffy's Catholic, Duffy Doherty. I go, of course. And I did. I don't know what I was thinking. That's why I went to Michigan State. It was my last choice.
2: <laughs> That's great. Yep. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. I, I interviewed Chuck Foreman. And he told yeah. me, he also told me that he had been at that game. How funny is that?
1: Oh, yeah, we were. And Ted Hendricks is our host. That's crazy. You know, Ted the Stork. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And when we're they were talking to me, they were saying, I played fullback and a running back and Chuck was running back and they're going, the coach pointed to me and said, you're going to be my guard and you're going to be my a running back, the running back. I thought to myself, yeah, screw you. I'll, I'll be the running back. Yeah, but then I thought to myself, hey, I'll just go down there and I'll just say I want to be a fullback, but I never got that opportunity. They offered me a scholarship, actually gave me the scholarship back then. I signed it, but it was... You could sign to any conference, and they were independent. You could yeah. Let's say I want to go to Nebraska and Michigan State. I could sign a con- uh, letter of intent to go to Nebraska or uh, Michigan State, whatever. You sign as many letters as you want. But I couldn't sign, like, to go to Michigan and Michigan State. You had to go to different conferences. So oh, my dad actually ripped that letter up. I wish I would have kept it from Miami. He <laughs> said, let me see that thing. I go look. At it. My dad looked like Archie Bunker, too. He wore... <laughs> The white shirt, dark pants, black Oxford shoes. Every day, his whole life, that was that was his dress thing. Church, that's bar, football game, That's all he wore. Wore the same shoes, same style of shoe, his whole life.
2: That's so funny.
1: He he was a unique guy. Let me tell you. Point and point he boxed six, through six, the six. depression. He was a boxer. Like one, he he's one of thirteen. Oh, so that that was her yeah, that was our family. It was uh, tough guys, but big hearts. Everybody's friendly with each other. So it, it was good.
2: That's, that's great. Yeah. I I read somewhere. Somebody asked you toughest guys you ever played against, you know, thinking my you brother. were or Joe green or Elsie Greenwood or yep. something. You said, nah, my yep. brother.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. And the most dangerous part is we had no equipment. I mean, we, we played, um, uh, tackle football, no helmets. That's it. You know, you're third, I was, Eight, nine, ten years old, playing against thirteen, fourteen-year-old kids, and they would never, they never put me on their team so they could pound me. <laughs> I go, come on, come on, Tom, let me on your team. He says, no, we're gonna kick the crap out of you. We're gonna toughen you up. So that's how I grew up, and it was not Like I, it was extra tough. It was like tough love, I guess. Right? It, you know, it was just different way. I, you know, I respected my brothers oh. like you won't believe, still do to this day. That's cool. I I have one humorous thing is, uh, you know, you got all those kids. You don't have that many beds. This I slept with my two brothers, and I was a bed wetter until second grade. (laughs) So they hated my guts. But but every night, you know, God dang it, you wet the bed. So they put me on the edge. I wet the bed. But anyhow, it all worked out.
2: (laughs) That's great. Um, that's funny. So, so you end up going to Michigan State. You play for Duffy, Duffy Darty, obviously a legend up there, yep. uh, and that's back when freshmen couldn't play. So on the freshman team, right. you're playing tight end and linebacker. And then, right, you- I
1: was going both ways. I was, uh, I think I was the only one going both ways. Yeah. And So I, I thought it was going to be linebacker. I mean, that was it. I mean, when we we played Michigan twice and Notre Dame once, the three games. And I did really well. And I did, you know, I thought, man, this is it. I'm going to be a linebacker like Buckus because Buckus was at his prime back then. Sure. And then myself, my sophomore year comes and Coach Doherty comes. Hey, I'm going to put you at guard. I go, no, I'm transferring. He goes, you can't transfer. So I go, he said, first of all, your parents have no money and you can't transfer. You're not going to transfer. So just get that out of your head. Could you imagine that happening nowadays? No. <laughs> so I I don't transfer and he said, We're putting you at Garden. He said, You're gonna play ten years in the NFL. That's what Coach Doherty told me. He said, You go to Garden, you play ten years. So I go, Okay. So I tried it. I stayed at Garden and everything worked out. Okay. I that, that was and then they actually won the game. I played tackle against State Butts. They moved me to play tackle against him.
0: Uh, and uh, we
1: beat them bad. Yeah, Purdue. Dave B- Butts was I was playing. They wanted me to line up against Sam Coach Doherty, and I I did pretty well, and uh, I got National Lineman of the Week. That that was the thing that kind of changed my career that day, because I was never real big. I was like two forty, and uh, Butts was a big guy, and I did okay against him. But but I got National Lineman of the Year, and from then on it was like, hey, he he's got a possibility. You know, like. That they are saying, well, he could play. Then yeah. then I wanted to go to the Hula Bowl, which is another thing. I got chosen to go to the Hula Bowl. And my, my wife and I were married. We were like, oh, my God, we're going to Hawaii. They pay your way. Oh, this coach story calls, hey, buddy, you're not going to uh Hula Bowl. You're going to the Senior Bowl because that's where pro scouts are. And that's where pro staff will coach you. And he said, that'll move you up in the draft. You get. It. He said, you, you don't go there. You'll be a third, fourth-round pick if you're that. I go to the I go to the senior ball, which is in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. and uh, I weigh two forty three. And Coach Ringo weighs me, and he he's the line coach in Buffalo. He played for Green Bay, and he's uh, there back then. It's not like it is now when everybody's looking at your weights. The coach would read it out and yell it out. You know, the position coach, okay, offense lineman, get in there. And then I got in there. Ringo weighs me. I weigh two forty three. Turns around to the scouts, Delamalier. Two fifty-five. <laughs> I look at him. He goes, "Hope we see you in Buffalo, kid." <laughs> they took me in the first round. That's that's how it happened.
2: That's great. And, uh, and I
1: mean, you tell me, I didn't have an angel on my shoulder all this, all that way, all, all the things. There's no coincidence in life. There, right. if, I, if I didn't go to the Senior Bowl, I would probably have been a third or fourth round pick. And yeah. the difference and then- between a first round pick and a any right. other pick, and the thing is. You have, and when you're a first round pick, even today, you have to prove you can't play before they cut you. A third, or fourth, fifth round pick, you got to prove you can play. Right. So, you know, it's totally different. If you're a high pick, you got, you got at least one year under your belt. They don't cut too many first round picks.
2: Yeah. And that, and that was a perfect situation because, like you said, Jim oh. Rankin's there. He's the O line coach. And Lou Saban, yep. who's coaching the team, is the Bills coach. Is the Bills exactly helped. so? It's like the perfect yep. you know, to show off for like a week, basically.
1: And, uh, and then they, they had uh, OJ, who really hadn't done much except the year before he got a thousand yards or something. Mm-hmm. So they're looking to build an offensive line, and that's and that's how it all happened. Yeah, and that right and place, that's, right time.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. So, so you're from you know Detroit and play at Michigan State. One year ahead of you is Reggie McKenzie, who's from Detroit. Right. He's he from Michigan.
1: Detroit. Yeah. yeah,
2: the Detroit guy, plays at yeah. Michigan.
1: Yep. I'm yeah, sure he, he called me the other night. So, I mean, it's been long. We have a long relationship. We've known each other from when we were kids, way back when.
2: Yeah. I mean, you guys have been playing against each other forever. And then all of a sudden you're playing yep. with each other on the same off. He's drafted one year ahead yep. of you. And in exactly. your draft is also Paul Seymour, tight end from Michigan. Who
1: I also played with. He played at Shrine High School.
2: Okay, yeah. and, so and then,
1: Paul and I are good friends, and we still talk all the time. He went to Shrine, and he was probably the best athlete in the state of Michigan. I saw it. Uh, he's one year older than me, but him and Brad Van Pelt and I, were all we were all together when we graduated. Paul had to get a red shot. But Van Pelt and Seymour, Van Pelt, is you know, he was one heck of an athlete. Mm-hmm. So the three of us all went to, you know, we went to Michigan State, and then Brad went to, drafted by the Giants, and then Reggie and I. So all, all of us knowing each other as kids, which is unreal to play, yeah. you know, playing the league, but anyhow.
2: Yeah, it's and it's interesting how that, that the, you know, your your offensive line, the electric company, came together. You and Seymour come out in the same draft. Um, yeah, Reggie one year there. ahead of us. Yeah, Donnie Green yep. the year before that, yep. and then Dave Foley comes over in a trade, and and Montler.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And it, it's interesting because you're such a like a a Great Lakes guy, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you know, yeah. the Detroit and the Cleveland and the Buffalo, and it's interesting. I was looking at this line; they're all Big Ten guys except for Montler yeah. and Montler. Well, he from was Columbus, born in Columbus.
1: He's, yeah. Yeah, he's from Columbus, Ohio, and he was the toughest guy of all because he was a Marine in. He he was 26 years old when he came out. That was his rookie year. So he was older than all of us. And he, he was kind of like the leader of the team. And he was a tough guy. And uh, yeah. everybody kind of, you know, looked up to him.
2: Yeah, I guess when you spent four years in Vietnam, you know, the trenches of the yep. NFL were just a little different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he was oh he was a tough guy. Mike passed a couple years ago. But uh, he was man. He was a tough ball player and a great leader. Showed us how to you know really be a pro how to work out you know just how to practice actually he was good tough guy
2: yeah i i saw you said um when he passed you said if if i got chewed out i'd take it really hard and montler'd say hey yep. good player don't worry about it everybody gets chewed out yep. just relax take yep. a deep breath
1: yep. um yep, that's what he'd say and, and, and uh we were just really good friends uh you know, by the time he left and all that, and went to Denver, and you know, yeah, I, he—I was so glad because he got a Super Bowl when he went to the Broncos.
2: Right. Yeah, and and I know when when you got in the Hall of Fame, he said, "Can can you sign something for my son?" And you signed a hat. Said I'd never have gotten here without your dad. That's so, a-
1: like, like I'm telling you, I got, I had uh, basically like guardian angels. You believe what you want. My whole life my whole life has been like that. Yeah.
2: And and so so now you're in Buffalo and and just to take a step back real fast when you're at Michigan State there's a tailback named Eric Allen who would end up playing in the yeah. CFL. But he at one point, I think when you're a junior, he rushes for 350 yards in a game, which is an NFL yeah. uh, NCAA record at the time.
1: Yeah, that was Purdue. We played Purdue, which happened to be a great defense, believe it or not. They had Butts and uh, Dave Bing or yeah, Greg Bingham uh, they had, they had a great team. Otis Anderson, Daryl, Daryl Stingley. They probably had the most talent of any big teams, big team team. And we, we crushed them that day. So, yeah, but Eric flea Allen was he, that's another story. Guy weighed 159 pounds, six foot one, maybe six feet. And he could fly. I mean, he, he didn't get drafted and, and, um, uh, he, I think he did get drafted by the Colts, but they won't sign him. So he signed with Toronto.
2: Okay. And and played his whole career in the CFL, right?
1: Yeah. And yeah. he did well. He's really well.
2: Yeah. But it's, it's, it's the beginning of a recurring theme for you of being, you know, blocking for guys who are setting records, um, you know, with, with him setting that record and then, yeah, so 73 comes and that line, that electric company line, you know, obviously blocking for the juice, turning on the juice um, comes together and, there are a couple of things I want to ask you about on this line. So first of all, obviously, not only does OJ Simpson break Jim Brown's single-season rushing record, but he becomes the first guy to ever rush for 2,000 yards, and he's still, obviously, to this day, the only guy to do it in 14 games.
1: 14 games, yeah. Yeah, and yep. he, he well, averaged – The, the difference is, too, is that he – that guy came out of, like, three or four games after about, you know, third quarter. He wasn't but by the time he had the thousand yards, by seven seven games or whatever, he got thousand yards. It was against Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then then everybody said, everybody was saying, well, he we says he's going to get two thousand. We nobody said anything about two thousand until he got the thousand. Then everybody said, man, he can get two thousand. He could have had a lot more than that because I know we played a couple teams where they took them out, you know, out, out of the game when they didn't have to. I mean, if he knew what the record was two thousand, he would have got that. in the the 12th game right yeah it was pretty interesting that you know he got 2003 but he could have had a lot more if he played more
2: yeah and and like some of the records that were broken i mean that's the one that that obviously stands out in everybody's head the 2003 but you got he averaged 143 yards a game that year which is to this day the nfl record the team the team. Average he averaged six yards a carry the team averaged 5.1 um yeah but then also in terms of yards per game for a team 220 it's the second highest in history and the only other one was 84 years ago with the lions in like 1936 so this is the most prolific rushing attack ever and oh by the way not only does oj simpson rush for 2000 yards the the two fullbacks, Jim Braxton and Larry Watkins, combine rush for over nine hundred yards. So it's not like Simpson's the only guy running the ball back there. The fullbacks
1: exactly
2: thousand yards. I mean, it's just incredible, you know, what you guys were able to accomplish that year.
1: Well, what's incredible is that the guy who coached that that whole he'd be really famous was Jim Ringo because he played for the. Well, all we did was on the Green Bay sweep, right? He, he played for Green Bay for Lombardi. Yep. And, he, he, I mean, he was a miniature Lombardi, and, you know, he didn't, he became a head coach, but he just didn't have, first of all, he didn't have the talent to do it. And he was, he was gruff. I mean, he was rough. He, he was soft coaching, but he, he, he uh, didn't like mistakes. And I mean, if you played and he, he'd get all over you, you know, this, you know, he did something bad to control whole team would be tough to have a guy like that. He'd have a heart attack in the games. But by the time he did 16 games or 14 games, he'd been burnt out. So, but Jim Ringo, it's basically the green Bay sweep, which is pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I noticed I I was watching old clips of it and on the run at Shea stadium in the snow that day, when Simpson broke Brown's record, he obviously did that. And then later in the game, got the 2000 yards when he broke that record it was your, you were pulling, you know, around to the left and kicked out on
1: Burgess Owens that freed him for the. I remember. Yeah. Like it was yesterday. Yeah. And I, I remember it like, and I knew it was Burgess Owens. So now Burgess Owens is, is famous. I go, Hey, I blocked that guy. I blocked that guy. So, people right. said, so what? I, he's a Senator or a Congressman <laughs> something. Oh, in yeah. Utah. Yeah, exactly. But he was a tough player too. So. It was fun. It was fun playing. But I, I do remember that play. Like yeah. when you're telling me, I, I can picture me doing it right now. That's so funny.
2: Um, and that and that team, for the year, the team rushed for uh, 3,088 yards, which is still third all time. And, again, the only one uh, to have done it in 14 games, rushed over. Yeah,
1: if you, if you go 14 games, nobody can match that, I don't think.
2: But yeah. I don't know. And probably yeah. more impressive than all of this is that the Bills in the two years prior had won a total of five games. So not only yeah. are you getting up crazy stats, but you're winning, you're going nine and five after the team had only won five games in the prior two years. So obviously, you've and got we some-
1: should have been, actually, we should have been 11 to three that year, but that's the way it goes. Right. But it was, we, we had a good team. And yeah. it, more amazing than that, I think the average age is three, 23 and a half years old. You were kids. Everybody's 21, 22, Yep. Um so.
2: and and the, the the thing that I just find amazing, you were on the kickoff return team also. Yep. And Wallace Francis. The, the wedge. The wedge, yeah. Wallace he leads
1: the league. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He leads the league at 30 yards uh per return, scores a couple of touchdowns. There can't be too many offensive linemen on the wedge in on kickoff
1: returns, were there? No, nah, there were a couple, but not for 13 years. Right. <laughs> like once you got out oh, and started being the starter, hey, uh, you you don't have to be on the wedge. But I always liked being on the wedge because I knew that could be a big play. Um, and that's the only actually too. That's the only time I thought maybe I don't like football. Like at the end of my career, these guys. An example is funny because we were talking about guys who should be in the Hall of Fame. There's mm-hmm. a guy named Hank Bauer. He was a next special teams guy with uh, San Diego. So my wife is, you know, she we've been together forever. She knows all this. I go, God, I can't think of this guy's name. Tell me his name. Uh, San Diego. Uh, this just happened two nights ago. I, was, I go, the return guy is bald. He's tough. She goes, Hank Bauer. I go, oh, my God. Nobody <laughs> knows Hank Bauer. Do you? Do you know I'm Hank D- Bauer? Yeah, I
2: remember everybody
1: him. He well, everybody 37. Everybody who played on a wedge in the NFL during my year, knew who Hank Bauer was. Everybody. There was a guy who played on a wedge who said, man, I, I, that guy's nuts. <laughs> and he, and he, he, he was a Scud missile before Scud missiles. <laughs> That's pretty funny.
2: Um, yeah, I think he went into broadcast. I think he became like a, uh, like the radio yeah, he, for the Chargers.
1: Yeah, and he also ended up coaching the special teams for the Chargers for a couple of years.
2: Oh, he did? Okay. But, I guess that
1: makes sense. Yep, But you couldn't uh, teach what he did. I mean, he was he was insane. He he was an unbelievable player. And not only that, he played offense. He did some stuff. He played on the offense and in running situations. He'd run the ball once in a while. He was a good player. Yeah. But he was yeah. so valuable that they kept him on special teams.
2: Yeah, kind of like a Steve Tasker type, just like a stud on special
1: Similar, teams. Similar, Yeah. Yeah, but I don't, nobody, I think, yeah, they, these guys should get in the Hall of Fame. They, there's no, I was on the committee when they were picking, trying to get kicker. I was on the committee when they had two old guys, me and Kenny Houston. And mm-hmm. we're talking to these reporters. I said, how can Ray Guy not be on this scene? He, he he made the Raiders. I mean, he, he made them go 90 yards almost every time they got the ball. Because yeah. he, he, he could put it out of bounds. And he'd put it out of bounds. He won't kick it in the end zone. So he finally got in. Now he passed away.
2: Um, yeah. So you obviously are, you know, this formidable running team. And the next year, you guys are good again. You're 9-5. and five. You go to the playoffs. You lose to the Steelers, who are en route to winning a Super Bowl. Um, you start to have a bit of a passing game with Ahmad Rashad and J.D. Hill. <laughs> in and, and O.J. rushes for 1,000 yards again. Obviously, that will be a recurring theme um but there's one stat stood out from that year which just blew me away you guys had a game and i have to ask you about it where you won you beat the jets buffalo completed zero passes and new york completed two namath was a namath
1: two. was the quarterback yeah, yeah. and joe, joe Ferguson it was a win you couldn't even you couldn't even see it was a blizzard okay and i, went, I actually went to a game two years ago with one of my sons and mm-hmm. the new england played buffalo on um Monday night and the winds were bad. I said, I said, as bad as this looks, it's nothing compared to the day we played in Shea, our, uh, in Buffalo against uh, Namath, because it was unbelievable. That was one of the worst games. That and the playoff game in Oakland or against Oakland and Cleveland, those are the two worst football games weather-wise I ever played in. Sure, but, yeah. uh, Namath threw a ball and he caught it. I think it blew back to himself. <laughs> can't, or Fergie did one of them. The wins are were unreal in Rich Stadium and they yeah. still are. But the, I do remember that game like yesterday. Yeah, that's just and so what funny. did we win? Nine six or something? Something like that.
2: Yeah. I mean I I figured it was weather related, but it just it just stood All out right. on the page. I had just I had to ask yeah, about
1: it. they scored and uh, uh they missed a field. the extra point and then we kicked uh, three short field goals and we won nine six, I think. That's amazing.
2: Um and then, and then the next year, 75, you guys set a record for most points in a game in history, uh, uh, 30 yeah, points. Yeah, what
1: are we, 420 or something? Yeah, 420. I remember this stuff. I'm full of useless information. This crap <laughs> don't make me a dollar. But I remember it because it, it was my life. I mean, I, I love football. I loved all sports, so I can remember all this stuff. Like, yeah. I can tell you the Lions starting lineup in 1962, their defense when they – they beat the Packers. <laughs> I can tell you every Alex Karev, Roger Brown, Darrellson Court, Sammy Williams. I can go all the way up and down the thing. Uh, Brett Schneider, Schmidt, Walker, uh, LeBeau, Gary Lowe, Night Train Lane, and Bruce Maher. Or yeah, Bruce Maher. That that's seventy some years. It's in my. It's stuck in my brain. I was ten years old when I watched that game with my dad. That's amazing. Do Do you remember when?
2: So you would have been a fan when Bobby Lane was there, right? Like when you were younger.
1: Oh, well, I was younger than that. They had uh, Tobin Road and then Earl Morrill and um, um, Milt Plum were like the guys, and uh, Dick Night Train Lane. Those guys are my heroes. Okay. And Lem Barney was. Uh, he's. I was a senior in high school and I played fullback. So I told the coach, "Hey, you spat my ankles. You know how you you know the spat in your shoe is. Sure. You know." Yeah, tape. coach said, what are you, what are you talking about? Here? I said, Lem Barney spats issues. He said, Lem Barney's a millionaire. We're at St. <laughs> St. Clement. We have no tape. Get tell hell out of here. But that's how sports have changed. But I remember all that stuff like Lem Barney and Charlie Sanders and all those guys. And it was just, just a great time to grow up.
2: Sure. Charlie Sanders, University of Minnesota.
1: Oh yep, number eighty-eight. Yeah, I can try. Yeah. I, I, I'm full. I can go everywhere. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, not really. My wife can do it just as well as I can because we live this. This is our whole life. Yeah, football was. Hard, so it, it's hard. to watch now compared to what it was because you're a kid and you love everything. But now the players change so much. You know the teams, the with free agency and everything. And I, you know, I, I'm glad for the players, but. It's not a good thing for, to be a fan to have uh continuity in the team and the, the NFL don't have that anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, like you, the way you rattled off those Lions teams, I mean, I can oh, do yeah. for, you know, all the teams yeah. I rooted for, because, you yeah. know, like two people would change every year. Um, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. like you said, better for the players, obviously, but uh, it, it does make it tougher because you have to like, you need a program every year to figure out who's on the team.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, But that, that, and that 75 team, again, a winning record. And you said a record for most points, uh, you know, per game for the season. And, oh, by the way, it's, it's the second greatest rushing season a team has ever had. Uh, You know, OJ has 18, I think now it's seventh, but again, it's, it's number two uh, for anybody who played in 14 games. And OJ has eighteen hundred yards. He scores twenty three touchdowns. Braxton rushes for over eight hundred yards. You know, again, just that you know that electric company. You know, kind of opening the holes for those guys is amazing. Tell tell me a little bit about Jim Braxton. I mean, he he obviously is kind of an underrated guy who I know has passed away. Yeah,
1: he was very. He played West at West Virginia. He was tight end, so they moved to fullback, and he was bigger than most people. He was like two fifty, so we called him Bobby. And he was, he was a one heck of an athlete. I mean, he could play racquetball, basketball, you name it. And he he's twinkle toes. Guy can move. He, he'd be famous today if he played because he could do it all. He could, you could put him as an eye back or you could actually put him as a slot, believe it or not. He, he had great hands because he played tight end and he could catch. But, you know, we didn't throw the ball that much. But, man, he was, he was an explosive guy, too. He, he hurt people when he won. He was pretty good.
2: Yeah. And it's just amazing when you look at the stats, you know, because obviously OJ, you know, putting up all the huge numbers, but Braxton's in there getting 800 yards a year. I mean, it's just amazing. And even in that game, going back to 73, when OJ sets the record and crosses 2,000 yards, Braxton rushed for over 100 yards in that game. I mean, that's just it's,
1: it's
2: incredible.
1: And if you knew what was going on, if you look back and you knew the records, Braxton could have been a thousand yard back every year. All you do to have good ball more and just, you know, make it a point to get, get him a thousand yards. He would have got it. Yeah. He's an unselfish player, caught a lot of passes. And he was captain of the team a couple of times.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's cool. Um, And then, and then things in Buffalo start to get a little tough. Joe Ferguson misses half of the 76 season a couple of rece- you lose Rashad and JD Hill, you lose a few D linemen to expansion and stuff like that. Uh, you know, OJ is still putting up numbers, but the team is struggling. Lou Saban resigns and Jim Ringo takes over. Um, what was that, you know, kind of transition like? You guys have been a winning team for a few years and all of a sudden you struggle for a couple of years.
1: Well, what happened was too that year, um, OJ wanted to be traded. And yeah. so they were trying to trade. Uh, Saban said, okay, we'll trade him. We could get some great players for him. And they were going to, he wanted to go to LA in it. So supposedly he, they had, they were going to give Jack Youngblood and uh, McCutcheon for him mm. and Sabin wanted to do it. And uh, Mr. Wilson didn't want to do it. So that's where the rift came in. And then uh, the never settled, the The team never settled down. And then I think Luke quit that year, didn't he? 76. Yeah. yeah. then Coach Ringo took over, but Coach Ringo took over a bad team, right? Because Fergie was out, Marangi, who's just a quarterback from Boston College. He looked good, but he had no experience whatsoever. Lost our wide receivers. Bobby Chandler got hurt, who was a great receiver. You know, we just, it wasn't even close to the offense we had. We lost like five guys off that offense. So that's what happened. And so everybody blamed Ringo and it wasn't Ringo's fault. We just didn't have any people. So they let Jim stay to 77 and it was the same deal. Just no players. What are you going to do? And that's, that's what happened.
2: And even that year, even OJ got hurt. So all of a sudden, you know, you don't
1: even. I mean, OJ left. Well, it was amazing though. OJ left and we played New England the next game. And you can look it up. Roland Hooks had 155 yards against yeah. New England, which was a really good team. So it, you can say what you want about all this stuff, you know, modern football. If you can, Ringo knew how to outnumber people, you know, with uh, blocking schemes. So you right. always had an extra blocker with a back behind him. It didn't matter how you set your defense up, that's what he did. And it's the same deal. That's why uh, Brady's so damn good. He gets down on that goal line, he can count numbers real quick, and he always outnumbers you. Okay, interesting. And everybody thinks it's, they, oh, they're a genius. No, they're, they're genius because these dummies, the other coaches who've never played a game, they don't get it. Right. I mean, I, I can call plays for, for my TV set, like where they should go with the ball. And with Brady, I can really do it because I know he's always going to the uncovered guy. Right. And Just, he does it time after time after time after time. And I hope he plays till he's 50.
2: Yeah.
1: Because I think it's he, I think he's special. He eats right studies the films and you know football is a different game if you don't get hit and don't get beat up you can play a long time and now with food nutrition how it is Brady's in a 30 year old man's body yeah so and I wish I played I kind of wish I played now just for that fact alone that you know you you can be in great shape and you don't have to lift weights more is not better as coaches think We'll work hard. I, I used to go. I coached in college. I go. You can't work hard and uh, long and hard. You can work long or you can work hard. Short spurts, long and hard. You that's a recipe for loss
2: because right.
1: the guys are worn out. Yeah, burnout. Yeah, it is. And you, you want to be able to be. Fr- that's why Ringo was so good. Oh my God, he didn't. He never beat us up. I mean, we practiced hard, but it was short. And uh, Coach Saban was the same way. I mean, practices are like an hour and a half max, wow. and we we it was real intense in the beginning. If you could get through Ringo's first fifteen minutes of drills, you're good because after that it's all downhill. He's teaching, teaching, teaching over and over. He got you tired, got your heart rate up, you know, got you in shape, and then the rest is all technique, all technique. He, he Who's the best?
2: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it, it's a shame that, you know, his chance as head coach came with, you know, like you said. A depleted. Well, it
1: happens to a lot of guys. Bad teams hire a new coach. New coach comes in. There's no talent. They don't give you any time to build talent. And now they have so many people, in my opinion, kind of getting off your subject a little. But they have so many people uh, involved in an organization. You, you have to go through ch- channels of people to get, get to what you want, you know, like, Hey, I really think this guy's good. Well, we'll send the scouts. Well, half the scouts have never played. What right. the heck do they know about stuff? So anyhow, I, that, that's why I'm frustrated with the NFL because they put too many layers on it. You can't have 23 coaches. Some of these teams have 18 coaches.
2: Oh, there's only 11
1: players on the field. Yeah, there's 11 on the field. So everybody, cause they want to feel like they're part of the team. They always got to put in their two cents. So all of a sudden you got a bunch of people. Half of them hadn't played to that level that they're coaching. And then the other thing, which is the biggest, I think this is one of the biggest fallacies in all sports. They they stay on coach. We'll stay there all night and watch film. Go to bed. What's the biggest problem with uh, driving in this country? Lack of sleep and somebody's talking on a phone. What do they do every day on Sundays? Lack of sleep because they hadn't slept all week and they're talking their headsets the whole time. And you see mistake after mistake after mistake because they have five people talking on the phone, do this, do that. You take the headsets off head coach, watch the game. Like the rest of the fans. Cause they know you shouldn't punt when you're on the 35 yard line, just try to feel, you know what I'm saying? Just yeah. simple things. And I, I worked for the casino up in Buffalo. I went to a game, Every I sat in a box for man, you know, everything I, I don't know anything. I just have common sense. I'm not that smart. I've just been around sports. When you see the quarterback talking to one part of the huddle, they have a circle and he's talking to one part of the huddle. I'll guarantee you the ball is going to that part of the huddle where that kid was standing or that player is standing every time. Right. Uh, when the running back's going to get his get a ball, he's adjusting his gloves when he comes out of the stance. When he comes out of the huddle, they're adjusting his gloves, his savers. Everybody has little things, little tricks of the trade but the coaches who are coaching never played so they don't get it interesting and they don't and they don't want to take it from somebody who's played because well oh, he's played so he said there's a real lift between players who played and players who didn't play no matter what they tell you
2: yeah well and and, and it's interesting you're talking about like tricks of the trade i was reading something about donnie green and he was talking about how you and he would mess, you, you were the right side of the offensive line, yeah. and, and you two would mess with the guys across from you to try to get them to jump,
1: and invariably. It would oh, work. yeah. Yeah, it worked every time, because <laughs> they, they want to get it. And anything, we, we would tell them the snap going for real, what it was if the ball was going the other way. So if it's on one, it's going the other way. i will say, what's on? It's on one, listen, God dang it. It's on one. Then all of a sudden, get their confidence. Hey, these guys are telling us we're on. Then it's third and four or fourth and four, and we go up the line and scream, Donnie, Donnie, Joe, what's his name? He had a list. Donnie, it's on two. Damn it. Listen, it's on three. Every time you jump offside, or it's, you know, you tell them the different column, they they jump. And then we had a guy in Oakland. He actually said he even said it was on two. He looked at us and said, hey, "You got to be kidding." We said, "Just let it go." But people have no idea all the games that are being played inside of an offensive line. Um, I know I'd be a coach, and I know I'd be a great general manager. But I love my family too much. Yeah, I mean, I tried coaching; it was hard. I, but I, I'm not home at, back, and I told my wife, "I'm not going home at seven thirty at night when I've been there at some, seven in the morning." Talk about four or five plays that we're going to run. You're beating a dead dog. It, it, it didn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense now. I think if you probably look at Belichick, I bet you he's a pretty uh, reasonable guy with time of the players. I would bet that. I bet my life on it. Yeah. Well, he's he's special.
2: I remember reading about Chuck Noll that he used to say, you know, I read about these guys who spend the night in their office and I think they're crazy. He said, I think everybody should be home for dinner with their family.
1: Exactly, same with Bud Grant. Yeah. Bud Grant would go hunting during the hunting season. He's, Hey, we're out of here by three. got to go hunting. Yeah, i got to shoot some but, ducks. I mean, yeah. I mean, I thought it was, anyhow. I don't mean to get off to the sub, but I'm uh, just, you know, you can talk football forever, but it really comes down to basics. It's like life. Okay.
2: Well, and so, yeah, so so when OJ's leaving, Roland Hooks comes in. He puts up some big numbers for the balance of that year. And then you guys draft Terry Miller, and he gets 1,000 yards in his rookie year with you guys. Um, mm-hmm. But by now, like the electric company starting to change a little bit, Montler and Foley and Green are gone. Joe Devlin and Willie Parker are coming in, but probably more importantly, Chuck Knox has come in, um, who on the one hand, he's called ground Chuck for a reason. He likes to run the ball, um, but, you know, probably not the easiest guy to get along with. What, what was your take when, you know, the regime change happened in Buffalo?
1: Well, when Jim left, Ringo, and they hired Chuck Knox, I'm like, everybody else, hey, I read the paper. This guy must be great. Ground Chuck. bank comes in. Me, personally, I think he would placate to the guys who weren't good players. Not, they're tr- not, not, like trouble guys, you know, guys who weren't really into it. And he'd always try to coddle those guys, think he's going to get more out of them. And okay. then the guys who were good players, he didn't pay enough attention to. So I always hmm. thought, hey, you know, I just, he just wasn't my type of guy. He he was the guy who wore gold bracelet, and gold chain. And I'm not used to that. I mean, I was used to Lou Saban and Jim Ringo. These guys are, one's a Marine and the other guy plays as So Chuck was like, to me, Chuck Chuck kind of, uh, he just wasn't my, the type of person who I, I ever had in my life coach me. I always had hard-nosed coaches. Chuck p- pretended he was hard-nosed, but he was always trying to, be nice to the guys who he didn't think could produce as much. So he'll, he'll be nice to them and they'll produce. And he, wow. he probably did it. He, he, he had good records and everything, but I just, I just couldn't play for him. Cause I, uh, kind of like, uh, coach Saban ruined me because he was a hard, hard-nosed guy. And, you know, I just, I, it was just such a drastic change for me. Um, and I told my wife, I said, you're not going to believe this. I don't want to be here anymore. Goes, oh, why? I, goes, I just don't feel comfortable anymore. So I wanted to get traded back to Detroit because Bonnie Clark was there, and we had talked about it. You know, I played two years at Chalk, and then I said, I, you know, I just didn't want to play for him. Mr. Wilson is kind of—I don't—he was the owner, but he's also a good friend. I said, Mr. Wilson, him, I, right? Ralph. Yeah, he's from Detroit. Yep, he was from Detroit, and he go up to Michigan State. And he said, you know, you he, he can't play for can't play for uh Chuck and I go I could, but i don't I don't want to, and he says you can't play for a coach because you don't want I said i don't respect them okay that's how I said it. I said I can play for somebody i don't like i don't i can't play for somebody i don't respect mm-hmm. so Mr. Wilson they went on and on, and so I had a whole dog camp the whole year. they traded me to Cleveland and um you know i just, i went the last day they traded me if I didn't report they were going to put me on the list, did not report. So I, I said, okay. So they thought they were punishing me, trading me to Cleveland, but Sam Ritigliano coached for Coach uh, Saban. And he talked to Coach Sabin and asked Saban, hey, am I getting a clubhouse lawyer? Saban said, you get the best player you ever got in the clubhouse too. So when I got to Cleveland, I actually talked to Coach Saban uh, with you know, uh, Rattignano gave me the phone. And said, "Coach wants to talk to you." So, and uh, so, Coach Tim said, "Hey, I give you the high, highest recommendation." And he said, "I mean that. I know you make a big difference in Cleveland, and I did. You know, I'm not bragging. I did. I know I did because we got better. The offensive line got better.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Well, and and that's and- all it is. I mean, I don't want to criticize Chuck or nothing. He's a great coach. And he had great, great coaches around him. But for me, life is short. I'm not going to be, you're not going to play football forever. And when I played it, I want to play it because I love it. That's why I wanted to play. And I just did not like football under him.
2: Well, and, and you had two great quotes around that time. One was I'm a blue collar guy, a factory town guy, Detroit, Buffalo. So Cleveland is my kind of town which I lived in Cleveland at the time. And I remember thinking like, this is, you know, we need guys like this who want to come here. Um, And then you also had a great line. Somebody was asking you about, you know, growing up in Michigan and playing at Michigan state and then Buffalo and Cleveland. And you joked, you know, I'm always worried that Gary Indiana is going to get an
1: expansion team. (laughs) I did. I got hundreds of letters from Gary saying it's a great place. That's where the Karises are from. Alex Karis. Sure, yeah. This <laughs> care from Gary. So yeah. I, I just felt that way about football. I, football to me was never um, a job, it was a game. Everybody would go, You work hard. I go, No, I play hard. They don't say, Let's go work football. I play hard. It's it's fun. I, and Chuck kind of took the fun out of it, and so I didn't like it. And then, you know, I'm 28 years old with four kids. What am I going to do? I can't quit. We never right. made money like they do now. So. I went and played in Cleveland. Then when things changed in Cleveland because Marty got in there, but the league changed. The league all got huge. The league went from you know two fifty to two eighty. And uh, you know, Marty said you gotta get bigger. I go, Marty, I'm thirty four years old. I'm not, how do I get bigger? A uh, leap in evolution or guys take steroids. Of course people were taking steroids back then. Sure. And I didn't I never took a steroid. Yeah, it's just- because it's a play. And that that's the story of my whole career. That's why I even left Buffalo, and that's why I ended up leaving Cleveland, because I don't want to take steroids. Not that they were forcing you to take them, but they wanted bigger guys. Right. And if you look at the league, that's when the league changed, in the mid-'80s. Oh, yeah. It went from well, 255, 260 to
2: 280. Yeah. My, I mean, my favorite Bottom player. Bottom line, that's it. So. Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland, Minnesota, my favorite player was Alan Page.
1: and There you go. I played against him. He weighed two twenty.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, page. There's probably not a quarterback in the league right now who would who weighs less than that. And yet, here was this Hall of yeah. Fame defensive tackle playing in the yeah. eighties <laughs>
1: at two twenty. And the thing is, it's not that you, um, it's not that you have to take steroids or had to take steroids. You didn't have to. But if you were a marginal guy you You were not going to make the team unless you took some sort of growth hormone right and I, that's when I think football changed. now I don't think they do that. I think they found you know way better ways to eat, better ways to work out and all this stuff, and uh, they actually test people for drugs back then they didn't do that
2: right yeah well, and so 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 you go to the browns and and the browns had been getting better 79 they were pretty good in fact i think sam was coach of the year in 79 but they he didn't the and so you come in and you're you're exactly what they need um and i think the year before they had brought in alzado lyle alzado on defense and he was probably what they needed on defense too
1: um well actually lyle was at the pro bowl when i was there and i was selling lyle during the pro bowl before this happened it was a uh, 79 i go man i got to. I want to get out of Buffalo. And he said, oh, man, you got to come to Cleveland. Coach Vertigliano is your type of guy. You know, he, he's, a, he's, a, Sam's, uh, I coached for Sam at Liberty. He hired me. Sure. That tells you. So we, we must have hit it off. But people asked me to compare Sam to um, Chuck. Coach Saban. I said, it's uh, uh, Patton, General Patton compared to Mr. Rogers they had two different approaches, Sam was Mr. Rogers. He's the nicest guy in the world, but he knew how to manipulate the guys, to, you know, play for him. And sure. he, he, he was, he was a great, great coach because he, he knew offense and he, he got safe and sex was unbelievable. When I went there, I told Brian, you can ask And I said, I think you're going to be the MVP because I want to play like three games. So I can't believe how the guy, his, uh, vision was, he, he could look at the field and be looking, what do they call that when you're, um, can see on all sides of the ball, like peripheral vision. Yeah. It it was unbelievable. And he he didn't have a real strong arm, but he was smart and he knew how to get the ball to guys. Yeah. And actually, I think he, we had five or six guys get catch 50 balls. Yeah. It's unheard of, unheard of. If that happened today, he. Brian would be like the King, King Tut because nobody throws 50 balls to five different receivers.
2: Yeah. F- five guys caught 50 or more passes plus Calvin yep. Hill, who didn't catch 50 passes scored six touchdowns receiving. Yep. And yep. Mike Pruitt rushed for over a thousand yards. I mean, the, the, the oh, ball yeah. distribution was amazing that year.
1: Yep. And he was special. He was magical. That was a magical year for me. Like I tell you, God puts his hand on me. I get to go to these places. It's not because of me, but they needed a piece. up a, like a, a different. I, I always thought they needed, like, you know, all, all the guys always said, man, we needed this on our line. They didn't, they had good players, but they weren't real hard nosed those guys. Mm. Yeah.
2: And so, yeah. So, so you go in, site passes for over 4,000 yards. So, so that going back to what I said at the beginning. So now you've, blocked for a 4,000-yard passer and a 2,000-yard rusher. And at that point, only Namath, like 20 years earlier or whatever, like 12 years earlier, had ever passed for 4,000 yards. So it was still a really big deal at that point. Um, The team is the cardiac kids. The line you join might not have gotten quite the fanfare that the electric company in Buffalo did, but – Three of you went to the uh, Pro Bowl that year, you, Deacon, and Tom DeLeone. And
1: Tom. Tom. Well, the reason that happened was because media was finally starting to t- pay attention to offensive linemen. And that yeah. started with Coach Ren- That really started with uh, Jerry Kramer and Fuzzy Thurston. They started a lot. But what really happened was instant replay.
2: Yeah, Jerry the Kramer.
1: Instant replay came in. Well, no, I mean the actual instant replay. Oh, where oh sorry. Where they're starting to yes. show instant replays. Yep. And actually, we played the Rams out in Los Angeles. I think it was seventy-five, and I played against Merlin Olsen and Coach Ringo. Was, oh, this is going to be huge, all oh, this. But anyhow, what he did was he—he he, uh, what happened after that game? They kept replaying the offensive line, like our pulls, our sweeps, mm-hmm. and everybody's saying, "Boy, without replay, nobody even knew that that was going on." Because you just watch a football game. You didn't know what the heck was going on. Then they put the replay on. Oh, my God, these guards can run. I remember them saying it over and over again. So it, once instant replay got out, then all all of a sudden, offensive linemen started getting uh, publicity. Sure. Because you could could make all pro one year, like Coach Ringo said, hey, I went to 10 Pro Bowls, but nobody even knew anything about offensive line play. So they saw my name there a couple of times. Okay, he's in. But you had to, It was a lot tougher once it got instant replay because people started watching each play, what right. a lineman is actually supposed to do. So that changed football. The instant replay, especially for the offensive linemen.
2: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And, yeah. and defense, <laughs> de- defensive linemen too, because all of a sudden you found out what a head slap was. Holy shit! It's going to knock someone's head off. <laughs> well, we can't. We, we can't have that. You, you got to ban that. You're. He's killing these guys. I mean. Everybody, else, most of the guys I know who played in my year are deaf in their left ear because right-handed head slaps.
2: Right. Like Deacon Jones. So they're, they're, did you ever go against all him?
1: All of them. Yeah, I went against Deacon Jones. And okay. they moved him in one play. He played against me in San Diego. He was older then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he moved in to play over me like he's going to – I ran Ringo said, if he gets across from you. it's a pass, run block him. Because he's thinking he's going to give you a head slap. So I just ran And he gets a, you cheap son of a bitch. You know, like he, I gave him a cheap shot. I'm not giving him a chance to hit me. Right. Because he's going to give you a, you pass it on him, he's head slapping you. Yeah. So those are all the things that coaches who played understand. Right. Uh, Stan Jones, who coached in Buffalo and, and um, Denver, he was a defensive line coach as he's coaching. But he actually played offensive line. He's the only Hall of Famer who played offensive guard and offensive tackle. But he, he was a coach in Buffalo when I was a rookie. He helped me as much as anybody because he played defensive tackle. He said, Here, Here's what you got to do. Don't sit back on him. Take them as short as you can. You know, like as soon as you snap your hand up and attack the defensive lineman on passes. Right. And he said, You'll screw everything up. And it did, it worked.
0: Hmm.
1: But if you didn't. If you didn't play, if I never ran into Stan Jones, who actually was Pro Bowl, made Pro Bowl as a guard and a defensive tackle, not very many people. done. So he knew I had him for six years coaching me with Coach Ringo. It's amazing. I forgot to tell you about them, but that that's how it was. So I went. I went to Cleveland. I just said, hey, we, we do this thing. We slide protect, which nobody was doing, well, you know, slide down the line back picks up the backside we did all that and that brian only got sacked 10 times that whole year
2: um well so in cleveland you know i have to ask obviously the the famous quote about the red right 88 in the in the raider playoff game was uh that retigliano said to Sype, if it's not there throw it in the lake um and obviously he tried to force it in but you had a great quote too you said i heard the the ball whoosh by me and i've got a fat head i wish the ball would i wish it would have hit.
1: I said that. Uh, I said, anytime somebody throws a ball around my head, it gets hit. I said, except that time, that ball was right over my head. and all right, Damn. Uh, and uh, Mike, what was Mike's name? Number 22, intercepts it. Mike Oh, I think it was Mike Davis. Mike Davis. What? Yeah, Mike Davis. I met him years later. So, you know, I'll never forget you, you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> we. If we kick the field goal, but there, another interesting thing—that whole thing—Paul McDonald was holding for Cockcroft when he missed, but he had rubber gloves on, like scuba diving gloves, because it's so friggin' cold. So right. we tell him take the gloves off, and Cockcroft makes makes the kick. It's all, it all comes down to the rubber gloves. It's like a Seinfeld show. Like, take the gloves off, goddamn! If if we would have te- took the gloves off the whole time for the touchdowns and that. Uh, it wouldn't we, we even been in question. They didn't think he could hold the ball.
2: Oh, interesting. I've never heard
1: that. Nobody has. But once he took the gloves off, he was okay. Right. They were slick, and it was cold. It was like 35 below at the windshield. Yeah. I don't okay. know if that... Yeah. And we were kicking into the wind with Cockroft, but Cockroft never, never kicked the ball to win or lose the game and lose the game. I mean, you know, if it ever came down to him kicking a kick, he won it. Except for that kick that that day. Yeah, that's an amazing stat too. And oh man, that's that to me. I always say it over and over again. Red right for years. Red right eighty eight. God dang it! Why did we call that play? Yeah, I thought I mean, we were going to put the ball in the middle of the field and just kick it. And yeah. we win win by a point. But anyhow. Yeah, frustrating. All those things happened in that game. All those things.
2: Yeah, Uh yeah, that's interesting about the gloves. I did not know that. Oh um, yeah, well, and I, I have to ask a question. About nine or ten years ago, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the big issues in football, probably the biggest issue right now, is is you know players with CTE. And about nine years ago, you got diagnosed um, in, uh, in in the past, California. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and in the past, you couldn't be diagnosed until yeah. posthumous, but now the, I guess nuclear PET scans.
1: Well, they did a PT a scan, I mean, uh, at UCLA with Dr. Malo. So my, it was me, Tony Dorsett, Mark Duper, and Leonard Marshall went to UCLA to get scanned. I got scanned. My brain scan comes back. I got uh, CTE. We didn't, didn't even know what it was. Right. And um, so my wife's a nurse, and she goes, what, What's this mean? And uh, well, he's got, um, you have issues when you have CTE. Now I have full-blown dementia. Okay. I, I'm So I know I had stage three, and Jerry asks, she's a nurse. She says, what's stage three mean? Stage four is an autopsy. Now, this was nine or ten years ago, longer than that. I don't know when it was, uh, 2009, something like that. I don't even know. But it was, you know, ten, at least ten years ago. And she said, well, what's the prognosis? What's stage four? They said autopsy. Mm. So we go, holy crap. I mean... So I go back and then she's, she's progressive with stuff. She goes, you know, what can we do? What does, what, what what can prevent this? Well, there are like seven things, they said, does he drink? No, I don't drink. Does he smoke? Never smoked. Does he do drugs, any kind of drugs, recreation? He don't take anything. So, well, you're good there. Does he work out? She said every day, twice a day. Uh, does he read books? Yeah. I keep a daily diary to this day. So I did like, there are seven check marks. I did them all. Mm -hmm. So then I know after you're there for a while, you go, damn, I I forget stuff. But then I started taking, I, I go to doctors. now. I go to a neurologist. I, I do everything. I, I work out. I don't, I don't drink soda. I try not to drink soda. I we're very careful what I do and I'm in great shape. So what I'm trying to do is say, you know, my, my goal is like, I, I'd say to God, when I had CTA, I said, you know, I don't know what the future brings, but let me get better. So we can help other people because I think I've helped a lot of people. And I know my wife has by telling them, you know, what to do, where to go, go see this doctor, go see that doctor. And I, I, I have, I'm, you know, I have a the CTE and I got dementia. But I've talked to you for two hours. Does it sound like I got dementia?
2: Right. Not at all.
1: Not, Not at, all. at all. Yeah. Because they, that I go to doctors, I say, whatever you're doing, buddy, keep doing it. I do a lot of stuff that I, I was training with my son when you called because mm-hmm. uh, we train, we do a lot of stuff. We, we do stuff with, uh, it's called the uh, hall of fame solutions. It's my, mine and my son's company mm-hmm. and we train people with bands. Uh, we got uh, shirts. Weights are overrated. Half the times you get hurt with weights. Uh, diet is essential. We do a lot of inter- intermittent fasting and things, mm-hmm. but it's just what you eat. I mean, like now I'm on an a oatmeal and a blueberry with honey kick, but I, I, I weighed myself today. I weighed 245. I weighed 243 when we got married.
2: God, you're, you're playing 51 years. Yeah,
1: I, I weighed, when I got married, it was two forty three. Yeah, and now today I was two forty five. So, I mean, I stay with last year a couple times, and my wife goes, "You're what? What are you weighing now?" I go like two thirty eight. She goes, "Don't lose too much weight. You can't carry that fat head around." <laughs> so, I go, so that I mean, I I don't know why I'm okay. I don't. I I do know why. I go to mass every day. And mm-hmm. I, I have a simple prayer. Lord, put me in the best place at the right, put me in the right place at the right time to help the most people we can. Yeah. And that's it. it's basically what I try to do.
2: Just yeah.
1: And we just try to help the most people we can. We And we're not rich. We have, you know, we, when we played, we didn't make any money. So, right. and we and we actually, at some point in time, we had nine kids in our house. So you know, that, that lived with us and I coached them and all that stuff. So well, that's where we're at.
2: Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Cause because, because of what you're doing, you're bringing awareness and you yep. bring hope to people, which I think is, is, you know, a very powerful drug in and of itself. Um, it is. Know. It's
1: really, there's a lot of hope. People say, Oh, you have said, Yeah, I got CT. What am I going to do about it? Yeah. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is, read up on a lot of books and things like that and uh, my, luckily I married a nurse how about that a, pe- <laughs> a pediatric nurse so well, my, my, my son's a trainer he's he's really a good trainer I mean he he was a firefighter and long story short he trains people all the time now and we do stuff with, without weights because yeah. not everybody can lift a weight
2: well, and and keeping yourself in shape, I mean, I, I know some of your charitable uh, uh, activities have included riding a bike from Lansing, Michigan to Mexico City to raise money for an yeah. orphanage. Never yeah. taking the bike out of second gear, by the way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, I kept it in one gear because I'm an idiot. I don't know how to change <laughs> gears. Listen, I don't text. I, I mean, I text very seldom, like a thumbs up. I don't write checks. I've written like five checks my whole life. I did this my whole life. My <laughs> wife and I were the perfect pair. I take out garbage, cut grass, wash cars. She does all the paperwork. And that's our life. We that's I awesome. found a perfect mate. And that's
0: she, awesome.
1: she, she she thinks she's found the perfect mate, but she could get somebody a lot better looking, I'll tell you that. So, but <laughs> she's, but, yeah,
2: look, Joe, you, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through, grown up in Michigan, the Buffalo years, the Cleveland years, the, the honesty about the CTE. So great talking yeah, to you.
1: Yeah, Joe, if you, if you want to look at stuff, my son's really good, com. Go on there. and He can help a lot of people. I'll tell you that, a lot of people. And okay. he's, it's simple. It's not, it's not complicated. Bye, Joe, son. thank you very much. Okay, bye.
2: And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time.